Welcome to Acts chapter 16. Uh, I want to say <clears throat> I love being here together with you. I love being in God's Word. I love, uh, again, just being able to walk through this together. And if you were here last week, we saw some encouragement from God's Word, uh, some help, I think, also, because we saw this strong disagreement that two men of God had, and they were both called out by the Holy Spirit, sent out by the church, and they were disagreeing on this one issue concerning John Mark. And that's something that can be, um, uh, you can kind of dismiss that, but that, that was a big deal. Again, I, I like as I'm studying and, and, and walking through Scripture, whether it's just personally or, or whether it's preparing for a message or a lesson or whatever, um, to try to put myself as much as possible in that situation. And that's difficult to do because I was, I was born and raised in America, completely Western, and uh, in, in this uh, 20th and 21st century that we are. So I, it's hard for me to fully grasp mindsets and all that kind of stuff uh, because the frame of reference is a little bit different. Uh, you can study Scripture. You can try to grab hold of what the culture was and what uh, people, how people treated people and, and relationships. You can gra grab a pretty good idea of what was going on here. But again, uh, we can't be in the mind of Paul. We can't be in the mind of, of Barnabas. But the reality was this, that they disagreed about whether they were going to take John Mark, who was Barnabas' cousin, with them on the second journey. And again, Paul was very clearly, he said time and time again, no, he's not going with us. No, he's not going with us. No, he's not going with us. And Barnabas didn't like that. Barnabas said, yes, he's going to go with us. He's going to go with us. He's going to go with us. And again, they, they could not come together. They could not agree on this. And the, the interesting part about this is, is Paul gives, the Word of God has pre, uh, preserved what Paul's reasoning was for not wanting John Mark to go. Uh, we look back in that scripture in the last part of Acts chapter 15. He says, because he deserted us in Pamphylia. He went back home to Jerusalem. He didn't go back to church to get recharged, to re get resupplied, or, or whatever the case may be. He went back home. He quit. He deserted us when we needed him probably most in, in the journey. He didn't go with us to the work, is what he said. Barnabas, again, we don't know his reasoning uh, in particular. We know a lot about Barnabas. Um, because of not only scripture, but also history. We know he was called the son of encouragement by the apostles. So he was an encourager. Uh, he, he liked to bring people along. He did that with Paul. He, he brought John Mark along. He, he was, I believe, someone who was uh, a good mentor in many ways. Regardless of what the reasoning was for, for um, Barnabas, these two guys, these two men of God disagreed on this point and they parted ways. And so scripture as we talked about last week, follows the journey of the Apostle Paul. This is an important point as well. He was Paul the Apostle. Uh, Barnabas was a man of God, called out by the Holy Spirit, as I said, sent out by the church with the authority of the church. Uh, but Paul was specifically the Apostle. And again, it's important during this stage of the church to, to make that point known, is that Paul was an Apostle. Uh, this was the man who God specifically said, this is who I want to use to reach the Gentiles, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But we come to chapter 16 and we see verse 1 where it picks up. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of, Timothy was, of by the brethren who were there in Lystra, Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, 
And so he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. If you were here, you remember the Jerusalem council. They determined that uh, none of the Greeks had to be circumcised. They didn't have to follow all of those. They just had to abstain from meats uh, that were sacrificed to idols, from drinking blood, um, and seek to, to follow the Lord like that. That's what they were doing. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. So again, we, we have this storyline. We know that Paul and Barnabas part ways. We see this, the, the, the missionary journey, second missionary journey of Paul, the apostle, take off. And there in this first area that he goes, he finds this disciple, this new believer, if you will, somewhat new believer, Timothy. I think there's so many points to make in just five verses that we have. But this morning, I want to point out three, I think, important things for us to, uh, to look at and, and maybe apply in our life. Number one is this. We see in this the power of, an, uh, of a godly upbringing. We see in, in this, this first encounter with this first disciple that Paul says, I want to take this young man with me uh, in, in, the, in this journey, the power of a godly upbringing. He was a follower of Christ, identified in Scripture as half Jew and half Gentile. Now to us today, as I said, in a Western culture and in America, Americanized, uh, completely, most of us completely removed, if not uh, all, all of us completely removed, um, from what it would mean to be half Gentile, half Jew in this, in this day and time. Um, we see very clearly, though, something in Scripture as well. Not only was he half Jew and half Gentile, but we see that his mother was a believer. And the reason why I think that's important is, as I've said many times, Scripture doesn't just put, I don't believe, just random things out there like this, just because, to fill the pages, to put enough words in the, in the chapter. I think God's Word has been preserved, and I believe God has preserved what He wants preserved for us for specific reasons. And it says here that His mother was a believer. God intentionally has preserved for thousands of years for us that when we would come to the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul, that we would understand that Timothy had a godly mother, had a believer. This fact is very important because later in ministry, we learn a little bit more about Timothy's lineage. We learn a little bit more about his spiritual heritage when Paul writes his letters to Timothy. And specifically in 2 in Timothy chapter 1, he says this, to Timothy, as he's addressing him in the very first part of that letter, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. I'm reminded of your genuine faith, your real faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. And now I'm sure, I'm confident, I know for, for sure it dwells in you as well. So again, we see that Timothy, this, this young man that Paul encounters on this second journey, is a third generation believer. And I want you to note, again, his father was a Greek. His father was a Gentile. His mother was a Jew who was a believer. His grandmother before him had faith in God. So what's, what's the big deal? Listen, parents, grandparents, are you hearing this? Timothy had a godly upbringing. Even, even before the cross and before the empty tomb, his grandmother and his mother 
We're teaching him the ways of God. We're, we're, we're bringing him up in God's word. And again, we know it affected him so much so that he comes along, has faith in Christ, and Paul identifies in him a faith that's genuine and sincere and that's usable for the kingdom of God. He was an instrument of the king of kings. This is an amazing thing. Again, we're not going, going to go into all of what Timothy did and who he was and, and all, all that this morning. But if you are a believer, I don't think there's anything better as a, as a parent or a grandparent than to know that your child or your grandchild is not only saved, but is being used by Almighty God. Man, I, I, I don't, I'm not trying to make Avery's in here and Addie be in the next service, but um, man, when, when, when I hear their hearts about certain things concerning the Lord or when they're concerned about something spiritually, like that, I don't care what they do in, 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 compared to what they do in school or, or sports or in the world, but man, when, they're, when they tap into the spiritual, when, when their heart is moved in the spiritual, uh, that is what causes me to rejoice so much. And as a believer, I believe parents and grandparents who are seeking God's face, when your kids, your grandkids, man, they, they want to go to church and, and you see them singing and you see them reading their Bible, you see them praying, you see them talking to other, other kids or other students, man, it's just something about that. But what were the keys? Maybe you hear this morning saying, I, I, I don't really have that. I'm struggling in my own relationship with the Lord. I'm not faithful in my relationship with God. My kids, man, they're so into school. They're so into sports. They're so into activities. They're so into this. They don't really, I don't really see a whole lot of spiritual desire in my kids. And what were the keys? What do we know? What did, what did this mother and grandmother do that, that set Timothy on this path to where the Apostle Paul comes along, sees him, and says, this young man's got to go with me to the work. Notice it says in his letter to him that he had sincere faith. And it was a sincere faith that was seen first in his grandmother. And then it was also seen in his mother. It wasn't the fact that they professed faith in Christ it wasn't, or, or in God. It wasn't the fact that they, they said they were believers in God. It was the fact that it was seen in their life that they had sincere, genuine faith. How do you see sincere, genuine faith? Be your actions. That's what James said. I'll show you my faith by my works. That, that's how it works. Whenever we truly trust something, we follow. When we truly trust someone, we follow. And so Timothy had for his whole life with his grandmother Eunice, or Lois, and, and his mother Eunice, he had this example before him of what it looked like to follow God regardless of circumstances. To follow God, regardless of what came along in life, regardless of God, of, uh, regardless of how, uh, following God, regardless of how difficult life could be. He saw sincere faith. And when he came along and he put his faith in Christ, his life was a pattern. It was obvious. It was an example. I want to say this. If you're a parent in here today, a grandparent in here today, your actions... Your attitude and your speech, the way you talk, they must all line up in order for it to spell sincerity. 
Man, if you're acting one way at home and you're acting one way when you're out and about and then you're acting one way when you get here, your kids see that. If, if, if you're talking one way, uh, if, you're, if, you're, if you, your language is a, is a certain way when you're at work or when you're around friends or when you're at home or when you get mad and, and, and things boil over and, and your kids see that, they know and that, that, that affects them. And when I'm talking about being perfect and sinless and, and never, uh, never messing up or making mistakes because kids see that, they know that parents and grandparents are, are sinners as well, saved by grace. If you're a teenager in here or you're a kid in here, look, all adults, none of us, including myself, your parents, all ministers in here, deacons in here, we're all sinners saved by God's grace. We're all in this path trying to pursue godliness. We're all trying to follow Jesus Christ. But it's so important for parents and grandparents to know Man, our attitude, actions, and speech, they've got to line up. If you've got a stinky attitude all the time and you walk in here and you're saying hi and loving on everybody, your kids see that. And it spells insincerity. Again, you can't be one way at church and with others and then another way at home. You can't tell your kids to believe Jesus is the only way and he is God and he is Lord and they should trust in him wholly to be saved and then you make decisions in your life to bow down to the world or to bow down to your job or to bow down to money or to bow down to sports or to bow down to whatever. Can't tell your kids, put all your confidence in Christ. He's worthy of your trust and then you put trust in something else or someone else. You're showing them insincere faith and they need sincere faith. Faith that changes everything. Faith that changes your perspective. It changes your speech. It changes your actions, attitude. It changes everything. Again, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. Faith that Jesus taught was real. In Luke chapter 9, now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then he said to another, follow me. He said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. He said, another, uh, another also said, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go and, and bid them farewell who are at my house. Jesus said to him, no one, having put his hand to the plow, and then looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus said, the worthy of trust, all trust, or no trust at all. He's God. He's Lord, so he has to be Lord of all or he can't be Lord at all in your life. Luke chapter 14, he would go on and say, now great, this is what the scripture says, now great multitudes went with him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, we know that that means he loves less, loves loves these relationships less than him. So hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, his own life. He cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his own cross come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first, count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who be- see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Well, what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for conditions of peace, a treaty. So likewise, which of you or whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Parents, and, and again, obviously grandparents, your faith 
Or maybe your lack thereof in Christ alone, above all, it matters. It's impacting your kids. You say, my kids don't say anything about it. They don't have to say anything about it. They can watch you. Does your faith really, your faith in Christ really change everything in your life? Is, tr- is he truly the Lord of your life? Is he truly the one that's in control? Is he the one that you're relying on? Let your faith be sincere. Be devoted to Christ above all. Because the future depends on the spiritual investment that we make as parents and grandparents that you make as well. Set the example. 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says this, and how from a childhood, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. From a child, your grandmother and your mother, they, they, it, was, it was what was talked about and it was, it was what was lived out. These sacred scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. It was obvious from a child that Timothy was raised in the Word of God. This was his experience. This was his upbringing, his mother, his grandmother. We know scripture teaches it's the the parent's responsibility and, and namely the father. In this situation, Timothy's father was a Greek, and so he wasn't connected to Judaism, wasn't connected uh, like that. He uh, maybe came along, got saved later, but... We know that in Scripture, as Christian parents, we're told to raise our kids, and again, specifically fathers, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It says, children, obey your parents in Ephesians 6, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and may live long on the earth. You fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Dads, you, you should never compromise raising your kids in God's Word, raising them in the ways of God. Don't do this. Why? Because God's Word says this. I want to go there. No, you can't go there. Why? Because God's Word says this. Now, why, why can all my friends do this and I can't do this? Because God's Word says this and we're following the Lord. Amen. Yeah, but man, my kids get mad. They don't talk to me. It doesn't say anything about you, what you do as a parent you're still to train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There's something on them. Children, obey your parents. Parents, grandparents, make sure they see that Jesus is everything to you. That, that should be it. Jesus means everything to me. We, won't, we don't compromise. We don't, we don't give in. We don't give up. He's everything. Invest. Model it. Live it for your kids and grandkids. And it, you, you don't want to see them walk away from the faith when they walk away from high school. That's on you. It's on them. I'm, I'm not saying that they don't have a responsibility, especially at 8, 18. But man, raise them now. Model it. Invest it. Live it out. And if you've done everything you can do to, to model it and to live it out and to not compromise, and Jesus is Lord of all, he's, 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 he's God, he's, he's everything. And then at the age of 18, you've shown them love and grace and discipline and, and, and you've trained them and, 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 and admonished them in God's word. You've done everything you could possibly do and they walk away, that's on them. But don't be surprised if you're not sincerely following Christ with everything you have. If you're not, if you're not living it out really, And then they walk away. 
it wasn't real to you, it won't be real to them. Second point, the power of a good testimony. Again, the fact that Timothy was saved as a miracle with a Jewish mother and a Gentile father. Timothy, we know, is probably saved in that first missionary journey that the Apostle Paul made uh, when he was in Lystra. He would probably uh, reach him there. But the reason that uh, we come to this is what Paul says about Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says this, the reason why we believe that Paul was the one who led him in that first journey is in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Timothy, here he says, a true son in the faith. Paul wouldn't have claimed that. Paul wouldn't have mentioned that. Paul wouldn't have alluded to him as a son in the faith if Paul didn't have any type of uh, work in leading Timothy to the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, here in Acts chapter 16, it says that he was well spoken of with the brethren there in Lystra and Iconium. It says in verse 3 that Paul wanted to have him go on with him. Again, Timothy was obviously impacted by the gospel, first of all. Faith in God, the, uh, the godly upbringing that he had, and all of this added up to a life that itself was impacting others for Christ. Again, I, I don't know about you, but I, I have no greater desire for my daughters than for when they become adults, that their lives begin to make an impact for the kingdom of God. That's what matters to me. I mean, I want them to have a godly husband and, and a godly family. I want them to serve. I, I, I want them to uh, be taken care of. I want them to, you know, all those things that, that earthly thoughts. But man, my number one, and I'm not trying to sound pious. This is sincere. My greatest desire is that whatever they do, whether they go in the mission field or they go into the, the marketplace, wherever they go, the, marry a pastor, I, whatever, marry a janitor, I don't care. I just want their lives to impact, make an impact for the kingdom of God. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and loving favor, favor rather than silver and gold. We recently ordained a, a deacon a couple weeks ago and uh, this first church age, again, in Acts chapter 6 specifically, we saw that deacons were implemented because of this need that arose in the church. And the first thing that the apostles told the church to look for when they were looking for these seven men that they needed to take over this ministry was this. Men of good reputations. Men who had a good testimony. Their life lined up with the gospel. Paul would write to the Philippians in Philippians 1, only let your manner of life, be the way you live, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Make sure it lines up. The life you're living lines up with the gospel so that whether, Paul says, whether I come and see you or else absent, I may hear of what you are standing, uh, hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Again, Paul shows up in this town and obviously Timothy was living a life that was demonstrating that he was living for Christ. And I think when we do this, we're salt and we're light, exactly what Jesus said we're supposed to do. Sometimes being who we're supposed to be, talking like we're supposed to talk. Colossians chapter 4, let your speech be always with grace. Sometimes that's all it takes that God uses to impact others. Just being who you're supposed to be. Talking how you're supposed to talk. Living how you're supposed to live. Matthew chapter 5, you're the salt of the earth, but if salt, salt has lost its taste, how shall the saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Listen, you don't have to be Timothy. You don't have to be Apostle Paul. You can just be a normal person in Fort Worth, Texas, Saginaw, Texas, going to work, 
raising your family, and still be salt and light. We're here, left here on this earth to walk with God. That's why he wants us here still, is to walk with him, living a life that points others to him. What's interesting in our text is this, though. We're not told what Timothy was doing or not doing, right? We're just told what his reputation was in that area. We're not told that, that he was doing specific things. We're told who he was being. So many times we, we're so wrapped up, well, well, I'll do this and I'll do this and I'll do that. And I think, again, we, we should work and we should labor for the Lord even to the point of exhaustion. That's what Scripture tells us. We should, we should be laying it all on the line, being a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. We should, we should be doing everything for the King, for the King of kings, for the kingdom. We should be doing all of that. But most importantly, all of that work should come from being who we're supposed to be. And that's what was making an impact in the area there in Timothy's life. I put this in the notes. If our faith is real, our life will show it. I think that it'll be obvious. If you truly believe Christ, you won't waver because you can't waver, right? That, that's what that type of faith, saving faith, faith in Christ, eternal salvation, uh, a eternal relationship with God, we can't. Say, so, yeah, but what about being backslid? Yeah, but man, you can't stay there. And that relates to the last point, number three, and it will be done. The power of a surrendered life. It's obvious in Scripture. And again, we didn't get into all of who Timothy was and what he ended up doing. And we may catch a little bit of that later in, in the study. But um, what, what does a surrendered life look like? And some people's definition of a surrendered life is being at church every Sunday. I can't imagine a greater test as a man than what Timothy went through to serve the Lord in this capacity. Some of you are not picking up what I'm saying. To be a companion of the Apostle Paul, to go preach to the Jew first and to the Gentiles. Timothy, as a man, was so surrendered that as a man, a grown man, he was willing to be circumcised. That, that's a major test of a surrendered life. And some of you may not be connecting those dots yet, but we know this is usually done as an infant, right? When, that, when it's done as an infant, some of you have sons, nephews, whatever, grandchildren. You know that, that, tr that trauma, that, that, that process you go through is, is way more difficult on you as a parent. You know that the, the baby's crying. It's not fun for them at the moment. They won't remember. You will. I guarantee you this. Timothy remembered this. Timothy knew what he was going into. Now, maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit of what he was going into. He fully knew what the cost was after the fact, I promise you. Again, this was done in Jewish uh, culture as a religious rite. Paul himself talked about this in Philippians chapter 3, about how he himself, being a Jew, circumcised the eighth day according to uh, the rite of circumcision. 
But Timothy had a Greek father. So obviously it wasn't observed. It wasn't something the father had a priority in doing as making sure that he was circumcised the eighth day. We don't know exactly how old Timothy was when he consented to being circumcised. But we can deduce at least that he was a young man. The Bible calls him man. It's typically a young man. He, wasn't, he was not an infant that would not remember the trauma. He was an adult. And he was willing to do this. But not just willing to do this because the Apostle Paul said this. He was not just willing to do this because, well, if I'm going to go to, the, Greek, or go to the, the Jews, I guess. No, 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 no. Timothy, I believe, was willing to do this based on his life, based on his testimony, based on being used the way he was used, that we know, I believe, Timothy was willing to do this for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel. This wasn't foreign thinking, though. Timothy had seen others, namely the Apostle Paul, pour out his life for the gospel, so much so that Timothy himself, his life was impacted He had seen regions impacted by the gospel. So why would Timothy not be willing to say, whatever the cost is, whatever I have to do, whatever I have to sacrifice, whatever I have to go through. The impact of the gospel. This theme should resound in the church today. Endure all things for the sake of the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Let me ask you this this morning as I close. What are you willing to surrender? What are you willing to surrender to for the sake of the gospel? What are you willing to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel? God God may not be asking the same thing of you, praise God. It's not necessarily pertinent for you to do what Timothy did, praise God. It was pertinent to the gospel ministry then, though. Because again, verse 3 says, because of the Jews that were in that region. It may not be that, but maybe God's, God's pressing on your life. Maybe a door is open. Maybe something is, is ahead of you, and you're going to have to determine in your life. I'm going to have to determine my life. We're going to have to determine in our life as a church, what are we willing to sacrifice? What are we willing to surrender for the sake of the gospel going forward? Listen, you say, look, if you're a man in here, maybe like, as long as it's not what Timothy had to sacrifice, as long as it's not what he had to surrender, listen, just because it may not be that same exact thing, it may be just as hard as it was for Timothy. It may be just as difficult, maybe just as sacrificial as what he did. Someone said this, they knew his father was a Greek and his mother was a Jewish, a Jewess. This in their eyes still meant that he was a Jew. And so his failure, or the failure of his mother to circumcise him, will make it difficult for him to minister to the Jews. As such a fact will follow him wherever he went. And so Paul was not necessarily compromising principle to circumcise Timothy because it's not an issue of requirements for salvation, but as a matter of customs and culture, he asked Timothy to be circumcised to go with him forward. That's what he was speaking of in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's important to note that they weren't doing something ungodly. They weren't doing something worldly to reach the unreached. But this is not the, I think, the perverted doctrine of be like them to reach them. It's not what it was. 
The culture and the custom of the day would have prevented any ministry with Timothy doing something that was, without him doing something that was customary. It's hard to relate anything of equivalence today because we aren't in a culture that's centered on Judaism. We're not a culture that's surrounded by this religious right. Um, but I believe at this point is that it was something that would open the door, a personal sacrifice. It was something so that the gospel would be advanced. Maybe the closest thing that would be a man surrendering his life to the gospel ministry. Maybe that's the closest thing that we could understand or, or, or leaving a lucrative career behind like many men have done, missionaries and pastors. We have some of those men in this church who left lucrative careers to serve the Lord. Or maybe taking a large amount of money that could be used for something personal. Say, man, this is, this is a big sacrifice and giving it to missions or to the church and our ministries like many people have done in this church as well. Or maybe it's making a stand. Maybe the surrender and the sacrifices not allowing your kids to miss the things of God for the things of the world. And then taking the welts that may come along with that. And that may not be a sacrifice for some, but for some of it is. Maybe that relates to point one and two, but it brings us to this. God uses all of this, and he uses a surrendered life as a vessel to accomplish only what he can accomplish. Look at verse four and five again. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches are being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. You see that? Fruit. Surrender, obedience, all those things. A, a, a godly upbringing, a surrendered life, all of those things. God used these men, God used all of this and kingdom fruit was the result. Churches were being strengthened. Churches were growing. People were coming to the faith. Exactly what the mission was, was being accomplished. This morning we see a young man who had this godly upbringing, who had a good testimony, who had a life that was surrendered. Regardless of what the cost was, he was surrendered. And maybe you're here today and say, look, I, don't, I didn't have a godly upbringing. So I can't be like Timothy. I, 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 didn't, I didn't have parents and grandparents that were investing in me spiritually. And I'm trying with the testimony thing. And I'm trying with the surrendered life thing. But it's really difficult. I'm here to tell you, please hear this. If that's you, say, man, I didn't have a God the upbringing. I'm struggling with my testimony. I'm struggling with surrendering everything to Christ. Listen, God's not done with you. He's not, you're still here. You're still breathing. His grace is still here. You got up this morning and his mercy was new again. God's not done with you. But I want to tell you this. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care how, how famous you become. I don't care what your kids go on to do, your grandkids. Look, there is nothing more peaceful and fulfilling in this life than to surrender all to Christ and be used however he wants to use you. And if you've not done that, I want to encourage you, man. This morning at this altar, you can do that. Maybe you just come down and say, God, I'm struggling. You know I'm struggling. But I want to lay here at this altar everything. I surrender all. But maybe you're here today, 
And there's never been a point in your life where you've surrendered to Christ at all. You're not positive that you're going to heaven when you die. And then today, the Bible says, can be the day of salvation for you. Again, we know what Scripture says, that God loves you so much that he sent his son to die in your place and my place on the cross. We're the ones that lie and steal and lust and, 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 and use his name in, in, in the wrong ways. We're the ones that sin, break his law. But he sent his son to live on this, life, live on this earth in a fleshly body, being perfect so that he could be the sinless, perfect sacrifice. He went to the cross, and that's what he did. He became the substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. He took our place. They put him in a grave three days later. He rose again. And the Bible promises that all, would, all who would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. But it is in, in that, that word I used a while ago, it's in surrender. It's in surrendering all. It's saying, well, I, I may lose my family. I may lose my job. I may lose my, my life. But I entrust it all to Christ regardless. Laying your life in his hands. That's what it is. And you can do that today. If you've already done that, you say, I'm, I know I'm saved. I know I'm a child of God. Again, then you know what the, the sweet peace and joy that comes in that. As I said, we'll go, maybe you're here, you're sitting in that seat, and you know 100% you've tried to take back over control. You've tried to take, you've been worried about your finances, you've been worried about your health, you've been worried about this, you've been worried about that, and you've been trying to take back hold of pieces of your life and, and try to control it yourself. Let today be the day that you give it all back to Christ. Just lay it all back at his feet. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for what you do in our life. Again, Lord, thank you for your promises. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this this morning. Lord, we understand that there is power in a godly upbringing. Lord, we know that you bless those fathers and those mothers, those grandparents that so love you and they so love their kids and grandkids that they go through whatever sacrifice it takes. Lord, they, they go through whatever difficulty it takes to stay steadfast and, and bringing their kids up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And I pray you bless those parents in this place, in this church. I pray you bless those grandparents that are doing that. Lord, we know that you use a good name. You use a good testimony. Lord, that's what we're supposed to have in this world is to be salt and light and to, to have that testimony that we are different than this world. And I pray that maybe somebody here today that they're struggling with that and they're they're, they're having a difficult time at work, having a, having a good testimony, and maybe they're uh, being involved in conversations and saying things, and maybe they're uh, just being a part of even things they shouldn't be a part of, Lord. I pray that they would understand today that you want to use them in a different way. Uh, Lord, you want to use them as light. And so again, I pray you would help those. And of course, the power of that surrendered life. Lord, help us all stay surrendered to you. And again, if there's somebody here that has never surrendered all to you. They've never surrendered their life to trust Jesus for salvation. I pray that you would move now in this invitation. They've come forward where we can show them how that, how that works. So we praise you for what you do. We ask you to bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as he sings, I want to invite you to come.